Please listen carefully. Welcome to the NC State Philanthropy Podcast, telling the world how we think and do through the support of our friends, alumni, and more. I'm your host, Taylor Pardue. On our season one finale, we're joined by sociolinguist and William C. Friday Distinguished University Professor Walt Wolfram to talk about the important role private support plays in his work here on campus and beyond. Thank you so much for joining us today, Professor Wolfram. To kick things off, just please give us a quick overview of your background and what led you to NC State in the first place. Well, uh, actually, I got into linguistics because uh, I, my parents were immigrants, okay. and so my first language was not English, it was German. Oh. That's what we spoke in the home. And so I always was very sort of sensitive to language. In particular, it's social context because I was born in 1941 oh, okay. sure. in the midst of World War II, mm-hmm. and I was a German. Yeah. And so so that made me very sensitive. I wanted to get away from German and learn English, but I didn't have any models in the home. Yeah. And so I looked outside, and what I saw were, you know, as I grew up in the row house in Philadelphia, and I, basically what I saw was working class white speech in Philadelphia. And so that was my motto. But one of the things that happened in my youth is because I wanted to, uh, I wanted to get away from my German heritage, hmm. I became very sensitive to English, including English dress, okay. English uh, speaking, and other behaviors. So, so I was a total assimilationist. <laughs> but by the same token, sort of, it made me very sensitive to language, mm-hmm. and I and I always sort of was had that sensitivity. So, so that's how I got into it. And then, of course, in college, when you go to college, basically, uh, I wasn't that interested in academics in high school. To be honest, I was interested yeah. in sports. But, uh, I feel like most people are, yeah. Yeah, like most, most people are not like my grandkids. <laughs> They're interested <laughs> in astrophysics in sixth grade. Oh, wow. You know, but uh, but actually, uh, I, I you gravitate to things that you tend to be good in. <laughs> and what I realized was that, well, uh, I'm adequate in most subject areas, but I'm really good with language. I you know, maybe it's because now. of my background, maybe it's because of my aptitude or whatever, and so you pursue things. And then, I didn't know what I was going to do with my life, and so I was going to be a missionary, uh, a Christian missionary who was going to go to the mission field. And so we were going to translate the Bible, and so that got me into learning linguistics because I would first have to describe a language because it would be an undescribed language in South America. And then I'd have to sort of know techniques of translation and know about language patterns. And so that got me into linguistics. Awesome. Okay. Uh, that didn't work out for various reasons, which turned out to be good. Okay. <laughs> but uh, in the long run. And, and, so, uh, and so I went through college, got a PhD, didn't know what I was going to do. Had a, I had a friend, a mentor in college who hired me, and I started working on African-American speech in Detroit okay. in 1966. Mm-hmm. That's when I started there. Uh, spent a number of years at the Center for Applied Linguistics, 
Georgetown University and a historically black school that most people have not heard of called the University of the District of Columbia. Okay. The, an open admission institution that was primarily black. Okay. <laughs> so so I had been there for 20 years because after I did my research, uh, I left Georgetown because I felt that rather than just sort of give my information and my expertise to sort of middle class, primarily white kids, I wanted to give it back to the community that had given me the data. Yeah. And so I went to the HBCU. Then, then one night, oh, in 1992, the night before Thanksgiving, I got a cold call from NC State. Uh, <laughs> my kids were just arriving home from college, and uh, we were uh, taken up with that. And uh, this person said, uh, you've been recommended for a, um, a chair at NC State. And I thought, it's the night before Thanksgiving. Why is somebody calling me tonight? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I didn't know a person at North Carolina State. It was total cold call. I knew no one here. Okay. Uh, somebody apparently had gotten my name somewhere. And, and so I say, say, would you like to come down and uh, and see the campus? I said, sure, I'll, I'll go down. And I told my wife, you want to go on a lark? We'll just sort of go to NC State. Well, and see had never been, I had guess, never to Raleigh? Been, or... No, I had been to North Carolina a couple of times in my life. I had never been to NC State. <laughs> Uh, I had been to North Carolina to lecture there once. Okay. And so I came down and I had no idea what was going on. All of a sudden they put me in a classroom with all the faculty could round up during finals. And mm. that was about 25 people. And they sure. said, talk to them. Well, I had no prepared lecture, mm. nothing. I thought I was just going to look at the school. And so I talked to them. Yeah. And about five, four or five months afterward, I got a call and said, would you like uh, to accept the William C. Friday uh, it's a person down chair in chess, okay. and we'd like to offer it to you. So I said, well, I'll come down again <laughs> and, and negotiate and see it. And so I came, I, I came, and uh, and that was the story. <laughs> and that was? In 1992, 30 92. years ago. Okay, 30 years to the day. Okay. Mm-hmm. So now you've come to North Carolina kind of the, for the first time. You're, right. you're here. What have you uh, worked on some of the memorable projects over that time, those 30 years now? Oh, I've worked on many memorable <laughs> projects. Okay, let me uh, 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 l- let me just start with the first. I won't run through all of them because no, no, it'll just, take forever. But yeah. uh, uh, the first was uh, when we fa- first got here, since my wife and I, we had all of our kids were out of the house by then. We have four kids. So, so we decided that on weekends, since we had no friends, we would just go and stay at different places in North Carolina. Like, okay. It's a great state for it, yeah. Yeah, just to see the state, see what it's made of, you know, and uh, and get an idea. Because at that point I said, well, I've been doing research all over the United States. I'm going to concentrate on North Carolina because it's such a rich state. Mm-hmm. Actually, one of the things that I often said was, well, it's like dying, coming to dialect. For a sociolinguist. I'm yeah, sure, for yeah. a sociolinguist, nothing is better. So. So, so we would go and visit various towns and so forth. And some of my English colleagues said, oh, you need to go to uh, uh, the Outer Banks. You know, they speak a distinct Shakespearean dialect. You know, it's not Shakespearean, but it has older forms of English in it. Yeah. And so, um, and so we, we went there. <laughs> First time we went, <laughs> we almost didn't get out because they had this big storm. Huh. We, we got on the ferry. 
but we didn't make it up the <laughs> up Route 12. We had to stop. Oh. And, and the last time that happened, people were there for four days, and we got stuck. And my wife was saying, we're stuck in the middle of nowhere. I'm never coming <laughs> here again. But, but happily, we got home. There you and go. so we first started in Ocracoke and then went to mm -hmm. Harker's Island and to Manteo and several places in the Outer Banks. Okay. So that's where we started. Uh, our most recent project, uh, which occupied about 20 years of my life here, was was a project which was uh, just published in a recent book. Uh, so I started this project here in the Research Triangle, where with the Frank Porter Graham Development Center at Chapel Hill, they had just started a long-term study with 88 kids, who 73% uh, were uh, below poverty level, okay. uh, all African-American kids, and they were looking at uh, otitis media and then at-risk kids and so forth. And uh, But they were kind of stalled after a few years. And so I said, well, why don't we make this into a language study? And so for 20 years, we followed these kids. Mm -hmm. um, after 20 years, 88 of the original, uh, 67 were still in the study, which is an amazing um, amazing positive uh, retention rate for yeah. a demographic group like that. But sure. uh, we managed through various sort of a, a great person who became friends with the families and so forth. Mm -hmm. and of course, we paid them also. So so we did that. And uh, and, and after 20 years, we just uh, published this book uh, about uh, the early childhood development of African-American language speakers, okay. which uh, no one will ever replicate because it's 20 years of recording them every year, mm -hmm. getting all their school records, inter uh, interviewing and recording their, their mothers, their caretakers, uh, also uh, uh, arranging for them to be interviewed with peers so we can look at peer speech mm -hmm. and so forth. And so it's, it's the most extensive longitudinal study ever conducted by a sociolinguistic group in the United States. Okay. And uh, for that, we we won, uh, maybe simply for perseverance, <laughs> we won the Bloomfield Book <laughs> Award for the best publication in linguistics in 2021. Congratulations. So, That's awesome. Yes. And in between, we looked at Lumbee English, since it's a unique uh, uh, American Indian variety of English that is neither black nor white, but it's in between black and white, which is huh. very interesting because there aren't that many tr long-standing tri-ethnic situations and for a couple hundred years whites blacks and indians lived together in robinson county okay. so that was really really intriguing and uh, and we've also looked at mountain speech we've looked at hispanicized english since the 90s when when um, north carolina started getting so just about every ethnic group every larger ethnic group and lots of regional varieties in the, and and north carolina is absolutely sensational we have a we have an archive of more than 3,000 tapes all of which are available we can send them to families we can we have them there for analysis and simply we'll save them forever on a website that we set up for them so so in in a sense over the last 30 years we made North Carolina the the most studied and the most analyzed state in terms of its uh, language variation in the United States. That's something we're, we're proud of. Uh, people don't 
often recognize that, but through some of our popular books, such as Talkin' Tar Heel and Hoy Toyed on the Outer Banks, we've tried to sort of get this word out of how cool uh, North Carolina is in mm-hmm. terms of its dialects. I always love to hear that. It, it, it just makes me proud of the land-grant university that we're part of. You know, that really is the staple of what we're supposed to be doing. Our mission is giving back to the people and really helping that, that, all the citizens of the community. And that's exactly what your work does. Well, actually, we, we have a, a mantra that we say, which uh, if we have knowledge, then it's worth sharing. Not only with academicians, the six people who read our books, <laughs> and the three who understand it, and the one who agrees with you, <laughs> but uh, we have we have an obligation to get back to the communities, and that's really our staple at this point. Where well, we do lots of rigorous research based on North uh, National Science Foundation grants, mm-hmm. we also have the most robust extension program, which is totally in line with what North Carolina State is as a university. And one of the things one of the things that I'm very proud of is when I go to lots of lots of outposts, you know, rural areas that are people don't travel to that much. Mm-hmm. One of the reactions that I always get is North Carolina State has been so good to us because of all the extension people who help us with our crops. Oh, sure. You know, give us lots of advice, uh, give us lots of benefits. And Mm -hmm. and so in that sense, we really have a great reputation as a land-grant university. Mm -hmm. And what we do in terms of celebrating language is actually uh, embrace that and enhance it and say, okay, so if you're going to embrace other aspects of North Carolina. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing about North Carolina that people may not know or may not recognize or not take advantage of. North Carolina is a state that loves itself. So people love its musicians. They love its storytellers. They love its novelists. They love the topography from the mountains to the ocean and Mm. so forth. And, and, And so in that sense, trying to term the language story from a negative, oh, you talk funny, you're a Southerner, and sure. therefore you're you're not as smart as Northerners, to one in which you have this great language legacy. Mm-hmm. You have all these unique dialects that tell the story of North Carolina, because North Carolina was originally set up as an as a state that was going to be largely rural, you mm-hmm. know, with small towns and so forth. That's why we have so many different dialects in small towns and mm-hmm. so forth. But but to change that into this is part of your, this is as much a part of your cultural heritage as your musicians, as your storytellers, as the fact that you live in a in a, in an enclave in the mountains or on the islands and so forth. So yeah. take this, embrace it, and be proud of your dialect heritage. Absolutely. So that's so that's one of the things that we're trying to do. Uh, you know, and we have various ways of doing this, you know. Uh, Yeah, you mentioned your books and also giving back to the community. Um, I know you've done a lot, especially on Ocracoke, going and visiting in person. Tell about some of the things that you do outside of the classroom. Okay, okay. here's what we do on Ocracoke. First of all, uh, I just made arrangements to go give a talk at the Preservation Society. Okay. Every every year in the summer we go and present at the... uh, at, at the porch lectures at the Preservation Society, uh, we sell our books there. We have we have a small museum. 
where we have a documentary that was produced by two students in 1993 that has been running on a loop all day long since then. Really? So thousands, you know, oh, yeah. maybe a half a million people, I don't know how many, have have seen this. And, and it's run there for uh, uh, 25 years mm-hmm. now. We also developed a dialect curriculum, which has been adopted by the uh, public uh, uh, Department of Public Instruction, uh, in which we teach a eighth graders in, in Ocracoke. Every year during our spring break, my students and I go to Ocracoke and teach them about their dialect and the dialects of North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, haven't, we haven't missed a class, although we missed a year. We missed the COVID, COVID year I'm assuming, yeah. last year. But the kids were so intent on getting this unit that the ninth grader said, we want the unit, we missed it last year. So really? let, so so in March of this year, when we had spring break, mm-hmm. we taught both the ninth graders and the eighth graders. That's great. Okay. So that no one would be without this program. <laughs> and and now there are, you know, people in their forties and fifties. And I say, oh, I remember your, I remember your dialect curriculum, and mm-hmm. we're now documenting the effect that it's had yeah. on the island, and it's basically changed the whole language ideology. Okay. They used to be unsure of their dialect, kind of proud, but not sure if it was just bad speech, and now they sort of embrace it, love it, and it's part of their iconic culture. Yeah. And I know as more tourists come, you know that changes dialects too, sure. influences and all. But like you said running on a continuous loop like that, all those tourists that you have educated about this dialect and helped celebrate it and right. to a degree preserve it as yeah. much as, you know, dialects I know are always changing to a degree, but well, they're to, always to changing. largely preserve it. Yeah. Yeah. And there, and there's, and there are such interesting things about, uh, about every dialect in mm-hmm. terms of sort of accidents of history. So I'll just tell you one yeah. on Okra Coke. Um, uh, the term for outsider is ding better. Okay. Okay. Uh, before before the 1972, the term was actually stranger or foreigner or a person was off the off islander, you know. Okay. So, but in 1972, Ocracoke got television for the first time. Okay. You don't remember this because you were too young, but anybody over 60 remembers this. That Archie Bunker. And All in the Family was the dominant TV show. Okay. Everybody watched it. It was controversial because Archie was this sort of uh, a misogynist okay. guy who was a sexist, a racist, and everything else. But but uh, So he used to call his wife, Edith, who was uh, the actress, Jean Stapleton. He used to call her a dingbat okay. all right, because he lacked, in his opinion, common sense. Well, people in Ocracoke, saw this television program and it said, oh, that term is like how outsiders come, you know, they, <laughs> they don't know where to fish, they walk in the middle of the road, you know, they walk across people's yards, they really do sort of stupid things, sometimes unintentional, but uh-huh. still silly and inappropriate. And so they simply appropriated the term and called people from off island dingbatters. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and just like that, it's stuck. Yeah, and 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 it's stuck to this day. So uh, now some of the some of the younger kids who don't have history of it, the show has come and gone. And well, know, the show has yeah. come and gone. They still may use it, but they have no idea where they got it uh-huh. from. 
And sometimes they're now starting to use Turon, which is a blend of tourist and moron. Oh, okay. So refer to yeah, that's clever. But it, but it, but notice it's the same. Yeah. It's the same sort of semantic intention. Mm-hmm. Somebody who does sort of nonsensical kinds of things to an islander. Yeah. So uh, yeah, so a tourist and a moron is sort of like a dig better. Okay. But th- there are these sorts of interesting. Uh, Interesting tidbits, you know, that uh, that that really uh, define sort of each dialect, you know, yeah. each each of the dialects that we look at. Uh, these little enclaves have words for insiders and outsiders, you know. So in uh, in the mountains, an outsider might be uh, might be called a jasper. Okay. But that's a that's an outsider who is not that offensive, uh, and 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 there are terms for. Other outsiders sure. as, as, <laughs> as well, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, yes, but 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 that's sort of indicative. And so looking at these sorts of things, mm-hmm. uh, and and people don't always recognize, but uh, North Carolina is full of regional place names that are only pronounced correctly by the insiders. Sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, I know. Uh, yeah. So Bodie or Body, uh-huh. Body Lighthouse. You know, people look at it and spell it one way, and then, or outsiders come, and uh, Corolla. They call Corolla because sure. they're thinking of the Toyota Corolla. Oh, yeah. Things like that. So, so I, I mean, in a sense, every every word has a unique history. <laughs> Based on sort of uh, how it's the one I up. always think of, and I have a friend who uh, grew up there, and he's told me several times, Rutherfordton. I, I can never say that one. <laughs> I, they, there's no question of whether I'm an outsider or not when yeah. it comes to that well, one. Well, well, actually, it's kind of interesting because uh, a few years ago at the state fair, where we always have a booth oh. every year, uh, we didn't last year because of COVID, but we will again this year. Um, we asked 200 people. We gave them a a list of names, okay. you know, that, that range from a sort of a Dora Lee to, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it's, which some people pronounce the Raleigh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and a few way Verena, mm-hmm. you know, which people sort of start to pronounce and then they hesitate because they think they're going to say a bad word. <laughs> All right. So, 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 but we asked people, to, we asked people to read them. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, you know, uh, if they're not, Near the area, they tend to they tend to mispronounce them, and then we have people from the area who pronounce them. You know, for example, if you look at uh, Bertie County, B E R T I E, you'd say Bertie. Yeah. You know, but that's not how they pronounce it. It's Bertie. Okay. You know, with the I didn't actually know that one. So, yeah. So, so so there are terms like that 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 are that are that are quite distinct, mm-hmm. and so we had a fun time. We even did an analysis, which showed. Uh, the obvious thing was the the farther you are from it, the more difficulty you can have. But there's a mitigating factor, and that is if you're closer to one of the interstates, okay, that enhances your knowledge because people travel the interstates, and so hmm. and so if you're far away and in a rural area as opposed to far away and on an interstate, hmm. you tend to pronounce. Terms. Hmm. Uh, so, so there, so there are lots of interesting. Just things. hearing people at restaurants and gas stations, I guess. You oh know, yeah, hearing yeah, it yeah, yeah, spoken a different yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, you can. Yeah, it's uh, and uh, so so a person, you know, and, and also sort of there are terms for insiders. So, for mm-hmm. example, alum is a Lumbee Indian who has a who has acculturated 
the norms of being a Lumbee Indian. You huh. know, so it's not just a Lumbee. Not all Lumbees are lums. Sure. You know, uh, and, and, and there and there are terms like that. You know, and and a a, a person from who's born and raised in Okrakoko adopts those things is called an Okoker. Okay. You know, which is mm. a term that they use for. So if we go in and say, "Well, is he an Okoker?" They'll say, "No." I said, "Why not?" Well, because he was born here, but in order to be an Okoker, you have to have heritage. You know, at least three, three or four generations. Oh wow! And most okay. most Okoker go back to the 1700s. Sure. So, so, so there are all these sort of nuanced terms that people use to distinguish us from them. Yeah. That exists. There are lots of names from American Indian languages. Okay. And from the British and so forth mm-hmm. that that are interesting and and have pronunciations that wouldn't necessarily follow from just seeing the letters. Okay. You know? and, yeah. of, and of course, there, there, there are also intriguing terms. There are intriguing terms that we have to sort of uh, speculate about. So, so, for example, in North Carolina, if you're a native of North Carolina, you may refer to yourself as, uh, as someone from North Kakalaki. Okay, right? yeah. So the question is, where does the term Kakalaki come from? Hmm. So we've looked into it as to when did it appear, how did it appear, and so forth. And this is interesting. And people have said, well, there's, uh, uh, there's an Iroquoian term that is something like that. Or it may be from the German uh, cockroach, which is a little like... Oh, okay. But, but actually, as it turns out, our best speculation is that it was first sighted around some of the early military areas, which are in rural North Carolina. Okay. People from the outside came there and couldn't understand the people. Oh. And so they would just sort of imitate, Kakalaki. Oh, okay. And so, so that's because it used to be a negative thing. Okay, yeah. And was used by outsiders. Now, natives of North Carolina have appropriated that and made it something positive. Well, I'm yeah. from North Carolina, Kakalaki, and I'm proud of it. Yeah. And so, and so it's interesting to sort of try to figure out where these might have come from. I mean, of course, ours is a hypothesis, but it's also based it's also based on listening to its use in songs. Okay. Seeing where it was first used. Yeah. You can we have documents of various types, and, and so while it's a hypothesis, we would say it's a hypothesis sort of based on reasonable kinds of, yeah. of data. So. It's interesting to see through your research how it's changed, but just in your longevity here at NC State, those 30 years, you're already seeing like Turon versus Dingbat or things sure. like that. You're seeing it change even in your career span. Sure, yeah. And and actually and, and actually it's interesting. So here here we live in Raleigh. Mm-hmm. Uh, 30 years ago, more like 50, prestigious upper class Raleighites did not pronounce the R's. So they'd okay. say car for car, right? Okay. That was yeah, the yeah. prestige norm. Mm-hmm. That's gone, okay. all right? And, and what's interesting is that was prestigious upper-class people. Now it's associated with rural, <laughs> uneducated people. So it yeah. also shows how sort of whoever uses and is dominant sort of gets the prestige. Yeah. And, and so here's, here's something that used to be prestigious, 
used by the aristocracy. Mm. And now they don't use it anymore, but people still do in the rural areas. And so they get stigmatized for using it. Yeah. So there are all these sort of nuances of things that change from prestigious to stigmatized. You know, it's the same with New York City before the Second World War. The pronunciation of uh, in New York without the R's was the prestigious norm. That's what that's what uh, 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 that's what Roosevelt used, uh-huh. and that was prestigious. After the war, it changed around, and the R lists became stigmatized. That's that's how sort of cool, evasive, and uh, nuanced language can be. It's not even that it changes; it's that it can change that quickly too, and just pivot one eighty degree, uh, one hundred eighty. Yeah, degrees. and it's and it's sort of you wonder like, so what was it about World yeah. War Two? You know. But one of the things that was uh, that was important about World War II, say for even rural areas, so lots of people for the first time got out of their areas, okay. you know, and went to the service. Mm-hmm. So the Lumbee Indians were pretty much contained, but they had a large contingent of Indians who served in World War II. Oh, and uh, picked it up as they went along. Yeah, and they brought it back. Yeah. Okay. So, so historical events, mm-hmm. you know, or. Uh, things like, okay, so the Research Triangle started 50 years ago. You yeah. know? That brought all kinds of outsiders into it. That helped level the dialect okay. of, of Raleigh. You so know? it's not really spiked it any which way. It's just Yeah, it's just, just yeah, it with all the outsiders, they leveled their dialect out. Okay. Whereas Outline, we're currently studying Chatham County, mm-hmm. which, wasn't, which was immune from the early onset of uh, Northerners, Yankees, and others. Just because <laughs> it's so far outsiders, removed, yeah. But now, people from Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill are moving to Chatham County because they want a couple of acres and a goat or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and so what happens is they're now seeing the same changes that took place in Raleigh, you know, 25, 50 years ago, starting to take it's place there. Out, yeah. yeah. I'm sure it is an interesting time for a sociolinguist, too, to be in Raleigh in particular, just because of all the influx of these yeah. more Western companies coming out here, Apple, Google, uh, these different things. I'm sure it's changing the dialect to a degree already, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah it is. And I, actually, I had one of my students who uh, uh, who did a, uh, a study of SAS employees. Oh, really? Okay. And uh, because there are a lot of Southerners, and so he, he studied the Southern people who were born mm-hmm. in the area, and he, he looked at their speech in official capacities, and then oh. when they were just talking to a friend, okay. and then they were interviewing him, and he saw these sort of stylistic shifts mm. based on sort of solidarity based on people from within, and outsiders who sort of had a different register for them. Yeah. You mentioned Chatham County. What is this current project? What all involve, is involved with that? Yeah, well, well, it's it's a couple of things. We're looking at different generations mm-hmm. of speakers, white and black. So we have speakers as old as 100 and oh. down to 16 years of age. And if you look at older speakers, they generally, they generally will retain a lot of things from when they were born mm-hmm. because after puberty... You don't really learn new dialects that much, okay? You know, so you so I'm from, I'm from Philadelphia. Yeah. All right. I left there when I was 18. I've never lived in Philadelphia since then. Okay. I'm 81 now, and I still have Philadelphia vowels <laughs> that I use. So I ask for okay. coffee. Okay. <laughs> and people say you want coffee. <laughs> you, you know, so 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 based on that, these assumptions, uh-huh. we can look at how the language was earlier, and then. Uh, uh, and then sort of middle-aged people and then younger people with what okay. it's becoming. 
So we do that. So we're, so we're doing that. But an important part of every project that we have is sort of working with communities. So, so one of the things we're doing, Chatham has a uh, physical museum in the courthouse there. So we're working with them. We're, we're developing a, uh, a website oral history mm -hmm. with interesting stories that range from rabbits okay. to the devil's tramping ground to mm -hmm. sort of like things that were uniquely Chatham County. So, so, so we're, uh, we're topicalizing that with all of these people so that will be readily accessible. And then we're going to do a little documentary on language in Chatham County that will be shown at the, at, at the um, museum. And then we're going to write a little book on the history of language in Chatham County. So not, these a, are the, not a 20 year project, I'm assuming. Not, not, a, not, <laughs> not, a, not a 20 year project at age 81. Okay. <laughs> uh, you mentioned it earlier your William C. Friday Distinguished University Professorship. Talk a little bit about that and how that's helped all of your work over the years uh, and just private sport in general, really. Yeah, yeah. Actually, actually, a lot of people don't understand what the benefits of a distinguished chair are, okay? So it does enhance your salary some, okay. you know, and, and so I tend to make a little more than the regular full professor. By the same token, one of the critical things is that there's a pocket of money that I can use in discretionary ways. Okay. So if I'm interested in Ocracoke and I don't have a grant to go there, where am I going to get money? Sure. So I go to this, I go to this pot of money that I have mm -hmm. and I say, I'm going to invest in it. And eventually I did get funding from the National Science Foundation for these grants. But I needed seed money, yes. as they say. And, and I'll tell you, and, and let me tell you a little story that um, that underscores the value of this money. Back in 1993, I had a couple of students in my class who, who came to me and said, they're kind of, they're really interested in what I do, but they're not that interested in language. I said, well, what are you interested in? Okay. I said, well, we're interested in film documentaries. I said, okay, we'll set up an independent study. We'll, I'll send you to Ocracoke, you know, mm -hmm. I'll pay for you to go up in a plane so you can take shots, oh, aerial wow. shots, uh -huh. you know, uh, at that, at, at that point we did, we only had, we only had planes okay. yeah, sure. <laughs> to take our own aerial <laughs> shots, right? So, uh, so, uh, the whole project, I, I borrowed cameras, I took midnight, uh, time in the, analog uh, film editing room. And these two students developed this uh, film on the Ocracoke Brogue, which was 18 minutes. And it's now the film that has run for 25 years so that's on that loops. Yeah. That cost me oh, $1,000 to $1,500 that I got from the Friday endowment. Okay. And, and so, so that sort of discretionary money. We produced a whole film on the Cherokee Without a grant, which we simply took, which which won an Emmy and was totally adopted by the Cherokee, they love the film. Really? They sell it in their bookstore out there. Mm. Uh, they play it on their on their TV station and so forth. That was done with funds from the Friday Endowment. So so what it does is it gives me the flexibility mm -hmm. to say that's an interesting project. But I have to write a grant to get money because the grant's going to take me a year by the time I write it, it and then submit it and then wait six months to find the funding. Yeah. Let's do it right now it's and amazing. start it. And, and so in that sense, uh, 
uh, it provides the seed money. And if you sort of have an entrepreneurial spirit, mm -hmm. you can take that money and turn it into great stuff. So that's what I was thinking. You know, a thousand dollars is a thousand dollars is always important, but a thousand dollars can be gone quickly in, in, in the academic world. But for nine, yeah. three, you know, almost thirty. What is that? Thirty years. Almost thirty years to still be running and all. That's far beyond the the traditional yeah. thought value of a thousand dollars. Yeah. Well, we get we get uh, uh, we get. Plenty of grants, mm -hmm. you know, but what people don't realize is that uh, most of these grants were started with with discretionary funds from the Friday account mm -hmm. that I investigated something because when you go to NSF, you have to have done enough work to, to, to sort of yeah. demonstrate that you can do this kind of work, right. and so in that sense, mm -hmm. you know, our, our last uh, our last grant uh, to develop a, a uh, a series on talking black in America hmm. was funded by over half a million dollars okay. by NSF, you know, but by the same token, if it weren't for sort of the other kinds of activities that we had done yeah. in American communities about North Carolina, we wouldn't have been able to do that. So, yeah. so there, there's seed money for an entrepreneur is absolutely critical hmm. to going where you want to go. And well, if I'm anything, uh, I'm an entrepreneur. <laughs> and I love to sort of do things that haven't been done before. So, for example, yeah. we have 14 television documentaries, a couple of which have won Emmys. Oh. We have two full-time videographers, thanks to the university. And uh, we're the only linguistics department in the world that has two videographers. Really? Yeah. Wow. And all they do is produce five documentaries. Mm -hmm. So... So you can you can take a little again that added value of you know it's helping you in the classroom sure but through the writing through the the television the oh, different yeah, film yeah. I mean just so much outreach and it, and it allows that. you sort of other sorts of things so so here's so when we when we published Talking Tar Heel uh -huh. the book uh, I thought well if we're going to write a popular book it would be it was around 2015 or so forth it'd be nice to sort of show people we have all of these tapes mm -hmm. we have over 3,000 audio tapes and we have all of this footage from our films it would be nice to incorporate that in the book so I went to I went to North Carolina Press which had never done this I said mm -hmm. we'd like to we'd like to put QRs into it and then have people use their cell phones and go immediately and see these sorts of things so mm -hmm. if I, I can define bless your heart mm -hmm. you know in writing, yeah, but it's much it's better to see someone <laughs> talking about "Bless Your Heart." Yeah, and, and and so we put 130 QRs. Well, North Carolina's uh, the press said we've never done this, and I don't think we have enough web space because you know films oh. take a lot of yeah. a lot of memory. Sure. So, so I said, okay, we'll pay for the <laughs> we'll, <laughs> we'll uh, pay for the website yeah. and do the website for you. So. You know, so every year we pay, you know, $60 to retain our membership yeah. and so forth. And rather than that come out of my pocket, it comes out of the pocket of the of uh, the Friday Endowment. Yeah, so and things like that. Sort of, they, they help in collaborations. Mm -hmm. uh, they help in sort of getting us started, the, the, the okay. seed aspect yeah. of, of our research and so forth. All professorships are important, uh, vitally important to people here on, at the university. But... 
it, I think it's what's so unique about yours is you actually knew Mr. Friday. Oh yeah. Before, before yeah. right as you you got the professorship, I'm not sure of the timing, but yeah, that you actually knew him personally. Oh yeah, I knew, I knew Bill Friday personally. As, as a matter of fact, I I used his uh, I, I I used his power to get our first doc, first documentary on television. Okay. So the first one we produced was in 2001. Uh, and it's called Indian by Birth, and it's about the Lumbee Indians. Okay. And uh, Bill Friday's wife uh, grew up in Lumberton, right okay. in Robinson County, and so she was very, very fond of uh, the Lumbees. And so I, I didn't, okay, so how do I get the, to UNC TV? You know, so I just sort of cold call him and say, sure. we have this film. Yeah, so I, I decided I would go to Bill Friday. And I took the film to Bill Friday, and he and his administrative assistant, the three of us sat there and watched it. And when it was done, Bill said, Walter is the only person besides my mother who called me Walter. <laughs> I said, Walter, I'm going to give you a note, and I want you to take it to the president of UNCTV and give it to him. And he took out his note paper because he was not a technical person. He didn't. He didn't email uh -huh. or anything like that, all right? And he wrote this note that said, this film is great, show it. So, Just like that. So I made an appointment with the president of UNC TV and said, I have a note from Bill Friday. So show this film. And of course, they we reviewed it together and went over it. Yeah. But, but the point is, I got my foot it's a in huge the stamp of approval, yeah, coming into that and, and, meeting. I, and I have a, another story. The first time I met Bill Friday in 1992, I went up to meet him when I got to his chair. I said, well, I'll take a book up to him. You know, we had a book on American English. I'll just sort of shows, shows him what we do. And so I, I took mm -hmm. that up to him. And and I, I said, here's a book that we And as I handed it to him, the flap opened. And I saw it, it was inscribed. And I said to myself, wait, wait a second. I didn't inscribe this. And then I said, can I just see that book a second? And it started out, Dear Sweetie, thanks for being a part of every oh project goodness. I've ever done. <laughs> it was the book I had given my wife. I <laughs> and I was addressing Bill Friday like sweetie. I would address my wife as Sweetie. right? But we had a good laugh about okay, that. Good. And, and, and Bill Friday has a, a, had a great sense of humor. And so... Just in case listeners don't realize who we're talking about, um, this distinguished professorship is named in memory of the longtime educator and first president of the UNC school system. So William Friday was critical to everything that NC State, um, UNC, UNC Wilmington, all these different colleges that we have across the state, what we've been able to accomplish, but also clearly in right. yours, uh, in your work personally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I would visit it with him every year and tell him what I was doing, and, and yeah. he would get a kick out of it. Uh, and he liked my enthusiasm because he loved the state. You know, he was he was the first uh, president of our system, of our UNC system, uh -huh. and and for over twenty five years he headed the system. Yeah. So he he was a wonderful mentor and leader during difficult times, mm -hmm. during uh, the integration of colleges sure. and lots of. The disobedience, civil disobedience, and so forth, and he was the perfect person for that. He was. Mm. There's no one who I respect more, mm. you know. And and if he ever met you, if he got your name once, he would remember it. 
that's an incredible skill. I, I see that the older I get, that's an incredible skill to be able to remember people's names and recall them. It's yeah, not, tell, not just remember them, but to actually tell, recall tell, them in the Tell moment. me about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I can't remember my students from four years ago. Oh and Bill Friday, if you ever met you, you remember your name. Yeah. I, I, I've often thought, how does one work on that? You know, yeah. do, do you just, I get a name as a formality and I turn around and I forget the name I got. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> so it's a unique talent. But. Um, talking to people before coming into this interview and asking them, kind of like, what would you like to hear from Professor Wolfram? What would you like to hear him answer on the podcast? And they said, ask him where you're from. And I understand that you have sort of a 20-question game yeah, yeah. that so, can help. So, so the first question we would ask is, so pronounce, the, pronounce the, uh, these words, T-I-M-E, time, <laughs> and... T- and T-I-G-H-T, tight. Okay. Now, if you say tam, but you say tight, uh-huh. then you're then you're from the Piedmont or mm-hmm. other places. Okay. Because the mountains say tam and tat. Oh, okay. All right? Sure. And the coastal plain does that as well. Okay. okay. So I that immediately would put you in the Piedmont okay. somewhere. And and then we have specific words. So, for example, uh, one of the unique words that we that that we, we would use for sort of the eastern coastal plain area. There are about five or six counties down there wow. where the trunk of a car is referred to by uh, by older people as the boot. All okay. right. So 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 that's a term that might sort of locate you sort of. Closer to mm-hmm. that's a particular area of Bertie County, Onslow yeah. County, and and some of the counties in the coastal plain. So now we yeah. now we would put you there. Uh, lots of places aren't that specific, mm-hmm. and and so we then would go after things like do people uh, uh, pronounce pin p i n and p e n the same? Mm-hmm. You know. So that would indicate that they're basically a southerner, but you may not have any of these other things, but you have that. Okay. And that indicates sort of that's one of the last things to go. And even huh. younger kids, and like younger kids in Chatham County still have that. Uh, some younger kids uh-huh. in Raleigh still have that, you know, in other cities around that. Yeah. There are other things. So, for example, uh, the pronunciation of well, does it rhyme with whale? All right. Hmm. So, so, versus so the animal versus the the, the, the animal versus the. Uh, right. <laughs> as a matter of fact, I was doing, uh, uh, I, I was doing an interview uh, down east somewhere, and uh, and and somebody said, well, well, we used to have a whale in our front yard, and I thought they could go either like way. <laughs> animal <laughs> from the sea came up. And of course, they were talking about. <laughs> Where they got their water, uh-huh. not the animal from, from the sea. <laughs> so, so, so there. Now that's that's typical of older people yeah. who are simply southerns. So, so things things like that, uh, you know, uh, things like that sort of help us identify uh, identify people. Perfect. So it's just sort of what we know about the state in mm-hmm. terms of its age, in terms of. The regional things, yeah. and uh, sometimes it's words, sometimes it's pronunciations. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, that's what's interesting is not just the pronunciations, but sometimes different words like boot and things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So, 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 so we just uh, <laughs> I, I once uh, I once threatened you, you know, at the uh, at the state fair, 
Uh-huh. They, they have these people that will guess your weight. Oh, okay. You <laughs> guess guess your weight way. or your age uh-huh. within a couple of years. And, yeah. and if they don't guess it, you get a prize and so forth. <laughs> I thought about, well, maybe we should do that for dialect. Come on up here. That would be, and I'll yeah. guess where you're from. If I get it wrong, you get a, you get a stuffed doll. <laughs> or, or you get a button. Yeah. <laughs> a, a button with a dialect word on it. <laughs> I'm looking forward to the fair again this year. Back in person, back on track with schedule yeah. and everything this fall. And being able to come out and see. Yeah. And see uh, we, all we these different get, activities. We give out about 7,000 buttons. 7,000. Wow. Dialect words. You mm-hmm. know, like ding batter, bless your heart. Uh, yeah. Think, uh, uh, buddy row. Do you know what a buddy row is? I've heard that, and but I couldn't. It's a good friend. Good friend, okay. Yeah, so it's used in Southeast uh, uh, North Carolina. You okay, know? yeah. Uh, she's my buddy, Row, or he's my buddy, Row. That does sound familiar, yeah. yeah. Now, in Ocracoke, the term for good friend is buck. Okay. So he's my buck. So I so there's a there's one guy down there every time he sees it, hey, Bucky. And that makes me feel good because he's referring to me mm-hmm. by this term of endearment that they use. Yeah. Now, for women, a good friend is a puck. Okay. So, not, buck and a puck. Okay. I was thinking buck and doe, like deer or <laughs> no, something like that, no, but no. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and every, every every place has yeah. sort of uh, terms like that. Well, thank you so much, Professor, for coming out and talking to us today, but also just for all that you've done over the last 30 years here at NC State and um, beyond campus, really. But, you know, like you said, I'm, I'm one of these North Carolinians who's really proud of their state, love to be here and everything. And I really appreciate all that you've done to help celebrate our dialects because Lord knows I have a thick enough one you can tell from this interview. But, yeah, I really appreciate all your work. Well, well, thank you. It's it, it's a joy. You know, uh, I do it because it's a, it's a hobby mm-hmm. and uh, and it makes people feel good about where they're from. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what we want. And, and, and I'm thankful to the state of North Carolina that it is uh, so in love with itself. Yeah that it's willing to include language in that love. Mm-hmm. Not many states are. So I think that's great for your students, too, like really yeah. um, helping them find their path in what do you love to do? What do you, you know, what, yeah. what is your strength, which is always important, but what do you love to do? Because maybe yeah. it's not your your top strength, but if that's what you're passionate about. That's yeah. what you really, that's where yeah. you'll go the farthest. Yeah, and, and, and basically, you know, the fact of the matter is in the long run, Superior intelligence is overrated. <laughs> you know, what you need to do is have adequate intelligence uh-huh. and a spirit of enthusiasm <laughs> and entrepreneurship. Yeah. And you're off. Thank you so much, Professor. Thanks for having me. <laughs> for more information on Professor Wolfram's work, please visit ncsu.edu linguistics. If you'd like to hear even more stories of Wolfpack success, please subscribe to the NC State Philanthropy Podcast today in the Apple or Google Podcast stores, on Spotify, or through Stitcher. Be sure to leave us a comment and rating as well to let us know how we're doing. Thanks for listening, and as always, Go Pack!